Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. Evans will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your Wolves correspondent for The Athletic, the busiest man in show business, Tim Spears. One more week to go until this wretched season is over. Well, it feels wretched, but as we record this, Wolves are still clinging to 12th place in the Premier League for dear life. A 2-0 defeat at Spurs, fueling a mixture of apathy and frustration. And we'll ask whether Wolves will get their mojo back with fans in the grounds for Everton away and Man United at home. Carl Anker of The Athletic will join us to discuss the United game. Plus... Two goal blank clearances from Conor Cody. Had a defensive masterclass in the first half. Here's Harry Kane. And Kane is able to finish it off. Oh, commentator's curse. Poor Gary Neville. It's happened to us all. But he gave Cody man of the match on Sunday. And we'll discuss the Wolves captain's potential inclusion in the England squad for the Euros. And a huge summer lies ahead in the transfer window. How do Wolves wheel and deal to their advantage? If you haven't already subscribed to The Athletic, then now is a quite a good time to do so, bearing in mind that Tim has some excellent Wolves insight to bring you over the next few weeks, with next week being our final pod until August. So go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod. How are you, Tim? You are so busy, my friend. Mm, in a good way. In a good way. There's lots of things coming up to sum up the season and look ahead to the summer. And we've got four interviews this week, which should all be very interesting. Good jobs or not? Pay more? <laughs> no one will take me, Bab. No one will take me. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a grind, hasn't it, really, last few weeks for everybody watching this bloody team every week. So I think we're looking forward, we're all looking forward to season ending. And, um, yeah, I've got lots of hopefully interesting and exciting content for people to lap up, Jackie Oatley, lap up. Interesting and exciting. Those were the days, since I recall, <laughs> <laughs> those emotions when it comes to Wolves. No, that that's quite unfair. They're great against 10 men. But you described Spurs 2 Wolves nil in your article about Connor Cody. The performance was generally indicative of a team who couldn't be more ready for a summer break if they were about to board a 5am flight to Benidorm with nothing but seven pairs of Speedos and a bottle of Factor 30 in their hand luggage. So they are ready for the beach, but there, there are some more football matches to be played, Tim, for goodness sake. What's going on? Why they're not up for it? I'm glad that line made it in. I thought it might get cut out for me for me being too silly as usual. Uh, yeah, it was um, it was another frustrating afternoon, wasn't it? I, I don't think we learned anything new really. I, I saw a few people in my timeline saying that they were switching off after 70, 80 minutes because they knew there was going to be no late comeback. You know, I wouldn't call it particularly alarming, since as we've seen this time and again over the past few sort of weeks and months. It was it was the same old. The season's been over for weeks. You know, the energy and the enthusiasm of the kids coming into the team has, has sort of lit up the last few weeks and certainly got me enthused about, about watching them and see how they can do. But we, I think we did question last week, would they struggle against better opponents? And, and of course, the answer was was yes. You know, they know, we know that they're going to be inconsistent. Hoover's error for the goal. Vitinha, pretty anonymous, really, after two decent performances. Apart from Cody, who, who yeah, did... Did give a masterclass for the most part, and and Traore, who sort of carried the attack on his greasy shoulders. There wasn't a huge and Patricio saves. There wasn't a huge amount to shout about really, and and I'm I'm glad it was just two nil because um, as I told you this morning, which you were very shocked about when we had our pre-pod chat, that was the most shots that Wolves have conceded in a Premier League game since the three nil defeat at Man City when they were down to ten men after ten minutes, thanks to Willy Bolly's red card in 2018. So yeah, 24 shots they conceded, 12 in each half. The joint most they've conceded under Nuno since coming back to the Premier League. So it just shows you how they wilted. Either side of half-time, really, that's where most of the damage came. Not a good afternoon and certainly will not live long in the memory, that's for sure. Well, Ryan Mason said afterwards that he was disappointed, never mind the 2-0 win, but they should have scored so many more goals. And their shots, and their shots, as we know, I mean, the stats previously about, I think, Burnley... Uh, conceded the most number of shots from distance, I think, last season, something like that. But it, the point is, that was by design, wasn't it, to keep 
to keep the opposition at bay and shooting from distance because they back themselves to block the shots. But this wasn't. I mean, they really should have scored from more of these. There were a couple of good saves from Rui Patricio and they've hit the woodwork the most out of every team in the Premier League this season of Spurs and they should have scored a lot more. But never mind all that. The thing that concerned me the most was summed up by Graeme Souness on Sky at full time. He said, Wolves showed up with no fire in their stomachs. This is the bit that bothers me, this character. I mean, on Match of the Day 2 on Sunday night, Danny Murphy picked out and talked over some clips of Pierre-Emile Hoybier, the former Southampton midfielder, who played brilliantly for Spurs. That's what Wolves need in the midfield. Somebody with that attitude, that desire, that bite and willingness to get on the end of rebounds and score from mm, six yards. Something Wolves have consistently failed to do this season. I mean, it's... There are so many issues at bay, but but just in terms of the the character, this is what really bothers me. It's easier to say, oh, they're on the beach, they just need a good summer, oh, they just need to regroup in a nice pre-season. But why have they not showed up and why are they not desperate to close down space and why do they give the ball away so cheaply, consistently in midfield and why do they not close down and why is Moutinho, despite having a better game than he had for ages, why was he so slow to picking up Gareth Bale and Semedo too for the second goal and Hoybier with all his desire and energy. There's none of this for Wolves. And is it simply just because they're mid-table and Spurs are going for Europe and hoping to avoid that awful conference league position? Is that it? I mean, it's a combination of factors, but I think one thing which you've sort of highlighted there is is the midfield because that's where that's where so much of your, your team's energy and drive comes from. And that's probably been the weakest area of the field for Wolves for... A few months now, I would say. Dendonka started the season really well. If you remember, he had that amazing record of every time he played, Wolves won, and every time he didn't, they lost for like the opening few weeks of the season. And I thought he was a crucial figure at that time. Neves started the season well for well as me, and then and then really picked up again over Christmas uh, when he got his glut of goals, and that seemed to really that seemed to really spur him on. But since sort of oh, it's hard to remember, but I guess since March onwards, I don't know. I, there's nothing from that midfield. And an issue that he's had or an issue that, that, that hasn't been addressed is that Matinho, Neves and Dendonka, all knackered for me, all out of form, all all going to the Euros this summer as well, by the way, which is certainly an issue in terms of rotation. But th- there's no one that's come in and injected the energy that we've seen elsewhere on the field. You know, we've seen Silva, Gibbs-White and Bettinia um, add a lot up front. We've seen Traore come back to his best, in my opinion, in the last few weeks. Um the defence, well, the defence is hit and miss every week, but the one constant is the, is the midfield. There's just nothing coming from there. there. There isn't that energy. You don't see Dendonka busting a gut to get into the box anymore, to get on the end of crosses. And Neves was doing that for a little bit, but not anymore. And we saw him get hauled off against Brighton and then didn't start against Spurs. So yeah, there's there's definitely an issue there. Well, yeah, it's it's been an issue for a while now. And it's um, Dendonka's fallen off a cliff. I mean, he was just an absolute passenger, I thought, at Spurs. Matinho, we know he's not the influential figure he once was. Thirty-five this year, and Neves, yeah, two looks like looks like he's got two years of football in his legs. So that's an issue every week, and he hasn't tried anyone else there. We haven't seen, apart from a short cameo from Vitinha in the Brighton game when he moved into midfield, we haven't seen anyone else play there. Ottawa hasn't played there. Gibbs White hasn't played there. Um, Kundal's been on the bench a bit but he's, he's he's clearly not ready in Nuno's eyes so there's no one to come in and freshen it up and I think you see that week after week God there's just no drive from midfield is there it's there's no energy I mean you would hope energy is down to you know mechanics of physicality and, and issues that you've discussed rather than it being anything bigger than that but Dave Edwards at the weekend on Wolves TV said there's a clear need for more high-quality midfielders. They've not had any impact and they need more goals. I mean, it's, it's obvious, isn't it? The, you've been trying to play a Premier League season without much of a midfield. It's been powder puff all season. I mean, Neves is a shadow of the player that we knew from the Championship and, say, the first season in the Premier League. But big, big issue to address. I think Neves has tailed off, but I, th- I, th- I think he had a pretty good uh, first few months of the season for me. I mean, he's still been my top three players of the year with Neto and Patricio, probably. Um, there's not a, not a wealth of, of candidates at all, but um, I think he sacrificed himself for the team probably more than we think. Like I say, his tackle stats are great. He's grown in stature and leadership. In terms of his influence, in terms of passing and shooting, you know, you're two basics. He has he has tailed off in the last couple of months. That's something they need to look at for the summer. Does a bit of a break for these players mean they're they're reinvigorated next season 
I, I don't think that they'll take that risk, and I think they desperately need to bring someone into that midfield area, which I'm told that they're looking at. So hopefully they'll address it. Neves, you're probably right there in terms of the tailing off. It, and some of his stats are decent. It's more the midfield as a whole that hasn't functioned and, and they haven't had the right dynamic in there. And Dendonka seems to be the sort of player that just needs somebody outstanding alongside him for him to maybe do the legwork for, but there's nobody really commanding it. And um, Neves was subject of debate in the, the press conference on Friday. When Nuno was asked about him and uh, Nuno said he, he's capable to do so much better than he has done. He has the talent and the determination. He says the work ethic is there, which I'm sure we'd all go along with. There's plenty more to come from him. They can all kick on. But he does also talk about Neves' free kicks not testing the goalkeeper and how he hasn't scored from a while. So for a while. So there's a lot more to come from. Neves, what about the goals? How concerning was that? There was the frustration initially that... Saïs and, and Cody weren't necessarily in line but then again it was Semedo that was playing him on and, and it wasn't shown on the Sky coverage at the time or at all actually about the lines the offside so I got in contact with PGMOL during the game and they were kind enough to send me a screenshot of the lines and it was Semedo that wasn't in line which is why Cody looked up afterwards and questioned where the flag was because as far as he was concerned Kane should have been offside. Yeah, I, th- I think they'll have been devastated to concede at that time as well. They were under a barrage of pressure and they let a soft goal in, albeit that Kane's so good at doing that. But yeah, if you, if you stop it when the pass is played, Cody, Saiz and Hoover have all moved up half a yard. They're all on the front foot and Semedo stood on his heels, stood still and um, playing Kane onside. So, you know, y- you can rightly look at Cody and Saiz for letting him through the middle of them. But in, in Cody and Saïs's minds, Kane was offside because they've both stood up. I'm sure the call would have gone up. I'm sure that had been from Cody. Um, but Semedo hasn't reacted in time and, and he's onside. Quite a frenzied attempt to try and get the ball off him, which, which didn't work. So, yeah, but the, the timing will be the most frustration to everybody. Nuno, I'm sure, as well. It changes the whole dynamic of your halftime team talk. Worse than that for me was the way that they came out in the second half. You know, uh, there was a bit of two and a throw in. They opened the game up a bit. But then they just sort of imploded again, and, and we've seen that time and again in the last few weeks, how they're just not coping well with adversity. Hoover's mistake for the second, and then countless others, you know, don't don't atone for that. And uh, and it's 2-0 game over, despite their, their mini burst after that when Traore and Silva, was it, could have got on the score sheet. Um, yeah, Silva missed a good chance. In fact, Silva, another stat for you. I know you love those stats, Jackie Oatley. <laughs> um, he had seven shots without scoring on Sunday which is the most a Wolves player has had in a game without scoring since Andy Keogh against Hull City in 2009 so um, no way it shows you uh, really I'm not making that up I didn't make that up I promise you so yeah it shows you as usual with Silva adept at getting in in scoring and shooting positions but as we know you know those finishing touches just not quite there yet although (laughs) He came for some for, for some bizarre criticism on two fronts. I don't like giving airtime to certain people, but Jamie O'Hara made some ridiculous comments on Twitter about how our Wolves fans, you're not going to be happy with having him up front or 35 million waste of money, basically. He said, I don't know how they accept Fabio Silva up front, 35 million quid for him. And every time I've seen him play, he's been absolutely shocking, he said. That just ignores so many facts. It's unbelievable. It's such a it's such a one-eyed sort of populist soapbox opinion. It's kind of typical of of him, to be honest. Um, but also Gary Neville on air, which I was quite disappointed with, kind of saying how Silver constantly looks like he's not enjoying himself and looks like he's throwing his toys out the pram basically uh, all the time, which I thought was an odd thing to say. And sort of questions his attitude a little bit by saying he doesn't look like he wants to sort of be there or he's not having fun was basically what he said. I'm paraphrasing a little there. But um, I, th- I think that might come down to the fact that whenever Gary Neville sees Fabio Silva's face, it's normally a close-up after he hasn't won a free kick because, as we know, he has this tendency to throw himself about. The referee says, get up, and then the camera focuses on his face and he just looks like... yeah, He, he does look like he's not enjoying himself. But in terms of his, of his attitude... I wouldn't be questioning that at all. And, you know, hopefully he doesn't see any of this stuff. He suggested in, a, in, a, in an interesting interview last week that he doesn't um, pay any attention to sort of comments on social media. And I, I hope that's the case because, um, as we know, he's got a great attitude. I think he's come on really well this year and deservedly will be part of this Wolf squad next season. I think there's a lot more to come from him. 
Yeah, Darren Bent replied to Jamie O'Hara saying, he's only young, you have to give him time and the price tag isn't his fault. And then O'Hara said, not blaming him at all, but a club like Wolves shouldn't be paying £35 million for a player that needs two years out on loan in the Championship. I've seen better players in League One just think what 35 million can get you these days surely they have to ask the question and Darren Bent defended Fabio again um I mean we've talked about this plenty before about about the season and whether the first team was strengthened sufficiently for this season and I think most people would probably say no it wasn't is that fair but that that's not necessarily the point it, it was more a case of taking Fabio Silva while they could get him at a supposedly cut price fee compared to what they thought he was going to be or what he would have been in the future and what they think he will be. That's more the point. Yeah, that's right. Um, Andy Keogh, by the way, as producer Steve has just pointed out, um, playing for Perth Glory in Australia. Did you see the world that he scored at the weekend? What, Andy Keogh? Andy Keogh. producer Ted? Scored like a 40-yard volley. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never seen him even shoot from there before. Absolutely astonishing. Anyway, sorry, carry on. (laughs) No, no. I can't remember where we were. Um, Yeah, Fabio Silva. He had a couple of good ones in the first half. Uh, the, the beneficiary of some phenomenal running from deep from Adama Traore. And as, as we've discussed on this pod before, it's so easy to take him for granted. But my God, he, just the way he picks up the ball in his own half, he'll beat two, three players. He'll get to the box and he'll lay it off. As Nuno says time and time again, it's, it's unique. You don't get players doing that. I thought he was, I thought he was absolutely brilliant again. I don't think he could have done any more against Brighton the week before. It was a magnificent cameo off the bench. And then, like I said earlier, he's basically carrying the attack against Spurs on his own. They were frightened, scared of him. As they've done, as Spurs have done time and again before, they just tried to keep fouling him. So I, th- I, th- I thought he was great. And I thought I thought Gibbs-White was really unlucky to be taken off. I didn't really get that one. You know, he moved into more of a central position and then got subbed just as he was sort of starting to contribute. He was um, very positive, wasn't he? This is what I love very about, positive. about Morgan Gibbs-White. He's doing something that we've been calling out for all season, trying to make something happen. Movement, positivity, forward passing. He's got the energy every time. He hasn't got the ball, he tries to win it back. And when he has got it, he tries to make things happen. Yes, he's going to lose it occasionally because he's trying to he's trying to play difficult passes. But I think he's made a really good impact. And do you reckon from what we've seen so far that Nuno's more likely to to keep him rather than send him out on loan again and, and give him a fair number of games rather than just keep him on the bench, actually play him? Well, he's making an impact in the Premier League right now. So if, if he's going to be if he's going to be in the match day squad every week, then no, you don't need to send him out to, to get those minutes. And um, like I said earlier, Vitinha had an off day. I know you're going to get that with youth, but if he's playing for a move, then he's not done his chances. Um, the world of good with, with that with that performance. I thought Gibbs White outshone him, and I'd love to see Gibbs White in the ten. Actually, you know, he was. He, he had a pretty quiet first half, gives what, and you wanted more from him. He started to offer more and then he got subbed off. But what I want to see is is him, is him in the 10. The issue you've got for the next two games is who plays left midfield because Pedence is now out. He's, he's having surgery uh, today, Monday, on a, on a groin problem, which has been troubling him for weeks and would be a decent explanation for his, his you know really poor performances, I think, the last few weeks. We'll say he's been carrying that injury and he's having surgery now to correct it. He has it. been awful, hasn't he? Really poor since coming Yeah, back. fallen off a cliff the last few weeks and since he's come back. Uh, yeah, that sort of explains it really for me because I was. how else do you justify just being so anonymous and so unlike how good he can be? I'd love to see Gibbs White in the 10, but but who plays on the left? Because Pedence, we know now, is out for the remaining two games. So he's out, Neto's out. Who, pl- who plays on the left? Trail Ray, if he plays on the left, then you're still sticking Gibbs White out of position on the right, as we saw against Brighton. So... Do you put Vitinha there? Do you put Theo Corbiano there, who came on for his Premier League debut at the end of the Spurs game? You know, judging from what Nuno said afterwards, I very much doubt he'll be given a start. Nuno said him more than anyone else has the realisation that this, i.e. playing Premier League football, is very hard. It's quite noted what he said. They've obviously been reluctant to give him a try. They don't think he's ready. He said the way he approaches duels, he has to become stronger. It's the high standards in the Premier League that we require. So, you know, certainly kind of, if Theo Gorbiano was looking for any encouragement after his debut, he didn't really get it from that. Um, But he's the best of the bunch from the under-23s. There's nobody else in there. So who do they play on the left if they're going to continue 4-2-3-1? Maybe eight Nori. If if Marcel could come in for some for some minutes at left back, then you could push eight Nori forward as a, as a bit of a left midfield left forward. Um, that might be an option, but we'll, we'll see. Like I said, I'd like to Ryan see Gibbs Giles. White. I'll Ryan say, Giles, tongue in cheek. 
I'd just like to see Gibbs White given given a start in his preferred position. You know, they've got these two games now. He's clearly experimenting with the formation and with younger players. So it'd be nice to see to see Gibbs White in that position. You mentioned Adama Traore and he had a huge impact against Brighton. Coming off the bench in that game, and he was very positive at times, taking on half the Spurs defence and midfield for that matter at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And Nuno was asked in his pre-match press conference on Friday about the impact that Adama was having. What we saw, um, honestly, against Brighton uh, was the improvement of Adama, the ability to play on different spaces and do different things that he's, he's been doing before. Um, you used to see Adama wide and 1v1s. He, he was inside of the box. He made a fantastic combination and one-touch finish like a striker. So this is what we want, trying to take Adama to different places inside the pitch to reproduce different actions because his impact can be fantastic, he's unique, he's unique. So what what I saw there was the clear improvement and ability of Adama to play on different circumstances. That is a big, big step. Nuno was also asked whether Adama could be more of a threat if he gets himself into more dangerous shooting positions from inside the box, as he did against Brighton. I think so. I think so. Uh, the high percentage of goals are scored inside of the box. Football is like that. The closer you are to the goal, the better. So having a player... But it takes time. And it takes patience. Um but we are, we are there. I'm, I was very, very pleased with the goal. I think it was, was very beautiful. The, the movement, the way he get out of his mark, the way you do 1v1, the combination, is something that we didn't see many times. So if we can repeat that and having Adama with this talent um, really close to the goal, can be very hard to stop. So, but it takes time. At the same time, it takes balance of the team, players that are involved. But I will, I repeat, James, honestly, I, I, I was very happy, very, very happy, because it's something that you want to see happen. And finally, when you see it and you see that makes sense, all the, um, all the, the dialogue, the insistent on, on trying that can only make you so happy. I, I was very, very of course, we want to see our, our our players in the box. Something that we we try, but uh, we are getting there, getting there. And then Nuno was asked about his hard work with Adama on the training ground. Not me, Adama, Adama, Adama. He is the one that works very, very hard. He is the one that is chasing and and um, trying to achieve. Um, those moments is Adama. Uh, I always said the teammates, uh, when they realize uh, what we have, um, and we, we did it and we are doing again, but I still believe that there's still things to, to improve. But um, it's Adama, honestly. It's the way he prepares himself, the way he, he works. Adama doesn't rest. Adama is... So work hard. He works a lot, honestly. He works very, very much. Not only on the training session. He always he takes care of his body. He he loves football. He sees he sees matches. He's he is really focused and determined to to become better. Now, Tim, this is really interesting because Nuno gets asked about a variety of players who may be playing really well at the time. It could be Pedro Neto and the impact he's had this season and how well he's played in certain games and goals he scored. And then Nuno tends to play that down a lot. Lots of other players, all except Adama. Why do you think that is? Is it because he's a an arm around the short shoulder kind of guy who needs bigging up to be able to bring that influence that he can on the pitch it's either that or he's trying to big him up ready for a massive 60 million sale this summer uh talking him up in the press no um yeah he's he's, he's always kind of done this with well certainly the last sort of 18 months or so bigged up trey already there are a few players he does it with as you point out jimenez jimenez probably been another whereas with other players like neto held acosta he used to do it with all the time he would just always just bat away any questions about how how good they are so I guess he's kind of looking at 
with certain players, maybe that he doesn't want them to get ideas above their station. Whereas with Traore, I think that he's mentioned a few times that one day he will be the player that we know he can be. That's sort of what he said. And once he and his teammates realise just how good Adama Traore is, I remember he said, he said, I, I hope I'm here to see it, he, he said, which is a rare kind of admission from him, <laughs> talking about the future. He basically, yeah, it was a few months ago now, he said, I hope I'm here when Adama Traore becomes the Adama Traore that we know he can be. So, yeah, he's very... I think you're right about the arm around the shoulder thing. But Troy's a funny one. I see people criticise his, his, his work rate and his effort, um, which I find astonishing, really. You know, I see him against Spurs in the first half. He was he was, he was was everything. He was attack and defence. He was making 70-yard runs. He was making tackles in his own half. Um, and he was carrying the tack on his own shoulders. Um from from what I'm told, he works astonishingly hard at his game and in the gym and on his shoulder, which I wrote a piece about recently. He's put hundreds of hours in on correcting his shoulder issues. So I think he's a well, obviously he's a phenomenal talent. We all know that, but I think he's been playing really, really well the, the, the last few weeks, and his inconsistent days are, are less now. And we'll see what happens with him in the summer. Um, interesting to see what happens with his contracts, whether they're picking him out for a possible sale to generate funds or not. But I hope not because um, I don't want to see him leave Molyneux. I think he's um, a joy to watch. And it's interesting, Nuno talking there about the closer you get to the goal, the more chance you've got of scoring. But it's the number of times that we see so few players committed into the opposition box. I mean, I put out a screenshot on Sunday of when Adama was in the box on the right-hand side, looking up for someone to square the ball back to, and there was nobody there. Tendonka was a few yards outside the box. William Jose, the striker, was a good few yards outside the box as well. I mean, I know he's quick, but it's not just that. The number of times he's in good positions and there's not enough players in the box. And compare that to the opposition, they put bodies on the box and they score more goals. So, I mean, how much of that is down to the players themselves, the fact that they didn't have adequate backup to Raul? And how much is, frankly, down to the fact that Nuno is more of a defensive manager and is more intent on the players keeping in their shape, perhaps? I mean, they certainly haven't been keeping in their shape very well uh, recently, uh, particularly when they play four-two-three-one. I think the, the thing with Traore is that this is perhaps the next evolution of him as a player to get him in central areas. You know, we know he can beat any fullback in the world, basically, and, loft, and stick a lofty cross into the box, but that's yielded hardly any goals this season. And um, Nuno was very pointedly saying, you know, we want him to play centrally. If you look at his goals, they all come from him running from a central position, sort of 30, 20 yards from goal. Um, almost all of them, he has got many. But he's not really one that's going to cut him from cut him from the right and score with his left. He did it against Palace in the Cup, but that's it. He tried it at Spurs, career. didn't he? Um, tried it at Spurs, but fired wide. I don't see him getting a huge amount of joy from that. So, yeah. Can't wait to see what what the next kind of stage of his evolution is, really. And I, th- I think they really see him developing into an all round player. That's certainly what they want from him, not just run and cross, you know. Because it, as good as he is at doing that, it's, it's, it's predictable. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Molyneux View from The Athletic with Tim Spears and me, Jackie Oatley. Now, Tim, you've written a lovely piece about Connor Cody. Really interesting, this, because as you and I are big admirers of Connor Cody's work, a lot of Wolves fans, less so... But it seems nationally there is an expectation that Cody will be going to the Euros. And what's your take on all of this? I think he'll be in the squad. I, I, I think it's extremely likely that he'll be in the squad. Um, Alan Shearer picked a, picked a 26-man squad uh, for the Athletic last week, I think it was, and, and didn't have Cody in it. And I was really surprised, actually. I, I, I just think if you think about how Southgate thinks, I think he'll be in. Because Southgate places such an emphasis on character. And we know Cody's got that. 
by the bucket load. His character is unbelievably strong. And also, we know Southgate picks players on how they've played for England. And he hasn't put a foot wrong for England. And he's scored a goal and he's deeply impressed them behind the scenes to the extent where he's sort of part of the leadership group of players now with Jordan Henderson and others. So I don't want to say shoe in, but I, I, I'll, be, I'll be really, really surprised if he's, not, if he's not in that squad, especially now it's 26 players because you know that those 26 aren't all going to play. You know, when you pick a 23-man squad, they don't all play. So 26-man, they're not all going to play. So you need players, and if Cody isn't going to play, he's not going to kick up a fuss. And he's going to he's going to generate a positive atmosphere, and, and and he's a great leader. But that's obviously not not to take anything away from the fact that he, he might play. To be honest, you know Southgate has sort of moved between a back four and a back three. We know how good Cody is in a back three, um, but he's also played in a back four for England, albeit only against San Marino. And for Southgate to be at Spurs on Sunday and to see that Cody can play in a back four, and we know he can. People say he can't. That's just not true. He can play in a back four. He's just more comfortable in, in a back three. And that plays to his strengths with distribution and his long, long, long range of passing. But, you know, you see him at Spurs with the aggression, which, which, which you know, he was attacking corners and crosses. We spent a large proportion of last week's podcast saying how awful Wolves were at set pieces and how Spurs would just have so much joy on that regard. Well, Wolves turned that around, to be fair, and they obviously worked on it a lot in training this week. And Cody was the main reason behind that. They were very aggressive in attacking the ball. And he obviously cleared two off the line. And it was a one-man show at times. It was it was Spurs v Connor Cody. I thought he was brilliant and it was perfect timing in front of Southgate. For me, he, he's in the squad. And, um, and if he does that, it's obviously a magnificent achievement considering where his career was four years ago. Um, considering no Wolves players gone to a, a tournament with England since Bully in 1990. So, um, so fingers crossed. That's next Tuesday, anyway, when Gareth Southgate announces his squad. So, um, everything crossed that Connor Cody makes it. I think he will. Moving on to the summer transfer window, which is absolutely huge for Wolves if they are to be going for a European place next season, which you would think is the next step. They need to try and get back in there. What is your understanding of what they're likely to do this summer and what sort of budget they might have? Oh, how long have we got? So, there's a piece gone out today outlining a few bits and bobs as to how I believe they're going to approach the summer. Some things to pick out. I mean, one, Adama Traore has um, reopened, or contract talks have been reopened with Adama Traore. Um, as as we reported in November, they had stalled with Traore, not happy with the offer on the table and wanting to be one of the club's highest earners. So those talks have now resumed. I mean, th- there is still that difference of opinion. Um Troy Ray wants to be one of the best player players in the squad. Wolves don't quite see it that way. However, there is a desire to get to get a contract done. The best player players in the squad would be Matinho, Jimenez, and Patricio. I would wager for one of a better for one of a better word. And um Traore thinks he's he's deserving of, of, of a top top wage. And Wolves don't quite see it that way. So but but there is a desire from both sides, I believe to resume these talks and get a deal done. He's got two years left on his contract and if he doesn't sign one this summer, then it kind of spells that Wolves would have to look to sell him because you can't risk him going into the last year of his contract, such a saleable asset. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of things to talk about in terms of this summer. One, as we've kind of referenced on the pod before, there's a low net spend. So if Wolves want to spend a lot of money this summer, they're going to have to generate funds. Now, the likes of Rafa Mir, Patrick Catrone, Ruben Vanagra, Bruno Jordao, um, Conor Ronan, Ryan, Ryan Giles. These are all players that are out on loan who you'd expect to move on and that will generate a sizable sum. But if they want to spend £80 million like they did last summer, then they'll have to sell again like they did last summer with Jota, Doherty and Costa. So that's the decision for them to make. Um, from what I gather, there's a real focus on the first 11 this year and therefore the squad. Two things in terms of philosophy to point out. One, the philosophy of having a small squad will change, and we have discussed that in recent weeks. They want a larger squad. Two, the philosophy of signing younger players won't change, and Nuno was adamant on that on Friday, that that is a key aspect of, of the club's of the club's philosophy. You know, I asked him, they've got, they had six teenagers in the squad against Brighton, and they've got the third youngest squad in the league. Will that average age be raised? And he said it's just not as simple as that. But there is still a massive focus on signing young players and improving them and selling them on for for profit. 
Another couple of bits. I mean, a central defender and a central midfielder are the very clear priorities this summer. But they've got all sorts of things to look at with Saiz and Patricio out of contract next summer. That needs to be looked at. Um, Johnny and Neto, of course, out until October at the earliest, two of your first-team players as well. Um, and as far as the three loanees, I gather, and it's pretty obvious anyway, that they won't be signing William Jose. Um, and they've got decisions to make on Aitnori and Vitinha. But of those two, Aitnori would be more likely to join at the moment. Wolves' final game of this testing season is Manchester United at Molyneux on Sunday. Let's bring in one of the United correspondents for The Athletic, Carl Anker. Hi, Carl. Hello, how are you doing? You're very well, thank you. Now, as we speak, United still have to play Fulham at home on Tuesday night. Then they play Wolves away on Sunday. And then they have the Europa League final against Villarreal next Wednesday night in Gdansk in Poland. So do you have any vague idea of the likely lineup for Molyneux? This is going to be a tricky one, especially when you consider the three games in five days they did last week. I think one of the sort of bellwether players for Manchester United right now seems to be Mason Greenwood, who Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seems to be a big fan of him, very much wants to, has deemed him the, the successor uh, and the central striker for Manchester United in the years to come, but also wants to keep him, manage his minutes. You know, he's, he's still a teenager, he's not going to be 20 for a little while longer. Uh, and uh, it tends to be when Greenwood starts, that tends to be a, a full strength or closer to full strength team for Manchester United and I think Green was probably unlikely to start against Wolves uh, on the Sunday I think he'll probably be a, a cameo appearance possibly a half hour mark and I think quite a few players will be of that disposition I think what you're most likely to see is someone like Dean Henderson in goal uh, you'll most likely see Eric Bailly and Victor Lindelof at the back one of the senior centre-backs so I'm going to guess Aaron Basaka at right back and then the deputy Alex Elise at left back. I have no idea who's going to play central midfield. And then Bruno Fernandes will be there because he's the fulcrum, the apex, the, the talisman uh, and everything. The sort of the, the helocentric model that Manchester United tend to play. He is the sun around all which all attacking players orbit. And then from then on, I don't know the rest. <laughs> nice to have those options, hey? Isn't it? Yeah, and- yeah. Not bad. <laughs> It's really interesting to see the the home versus away stats, isn't it, of United this season? Because only Wolves stand in the way of United completing an entire season away from home unbeaten. They lost three and drew one of their first home uh, games in the Premier League this season. Extraordinary. Six defeats at home in total, none away. Obviously, we're speaking before the Fulham game, but what would you put that down to? (laughs) Oh, oh, so many things. Uh, So I, I was running the numbers today and uh, so it's 40 points away from home and 30 at home Solskjaer himself believes that it's not too much of a big thing he says he doesn't really believe in home games and away games now it's just a neutral game and whatnot but I think the way this Manchester United team are set up uh, and the way they are or you know for large parts of this season were primarily a counter-punching team they were very much will draw you onto us and then we'll hit you in the space you're leaving behind. I think that naturally, no, I say for some reason that that's very much an away team tactic of you can have the ball. And when we you get to this certain area of them, we're going to spring in behind. And I think even though, yes, it's been nearly a whole season away from home you know, with no crowds, I think that is still favorable when you're away from home. I still think that for some reason there is the impetus to, to try and be more dominant and more progressive at home. And I think that's what Manchester United do quite often. Manchester United have this, uh, coaching adage called working the space which is you know that there are certain areas of the pitch of the pitch that the opposition will leave unoccupied and you can attack and uh, throughout the game you will find those areas and then cause chaos so a really good example of this is um, Marcus Rashford currently is the person who's got the highest amount of nutmegs in Europe's top five leagues so in the first half he will play against the team and the opposition fullback will be touch tight on him and I'll go okay I'll figure out all the ways you like to be touch tight and then in the second half what he tends to do is the next time the opposition player tries to get touch tight he'll nutmeg them and then run around and then either cross or assist or have a shot on goal himself that's a very uh, Manchester United tend to work smart rather than work hard which is a quite a canny COVID-19 affected season technique and I think that slightly works better away from home rather than at home. I think it's not a case of crowds, but more a space of counterattacks. Very interesting. I mean, that 4,500 
number of Wolves fans that are in Molyneux on Sunday, though, will actually put the fear of God into Man United and suddenly they realise they're away from home. And, yeah, that's it. They'll puncture that record. Absolutely no <laughs> doubt about that. Um, but we shall see. Carl, in terms of how bothered Man United will be about this game, is it going to be seen as more of a warm-up for the, for the, for the big final? It's obviously only a few days later. I mean, you mentioned earlier, perhaps not wholesale changes, but do you think there'll be much motivation for this one? I think the away record or the possibility of finishing the season away from home will entice some sections of the Manchester United fan base. I think that will be spoken of in the coaching staff and I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will take that seriously. I can imagine some young players featuring. So we know uh, under-23 player Hannibal, uh, Ahmad, uh, Anthony Alanga, who also featured against Leicester City. They, they've been in and around the first team squad. So I can see some of them if not starting, but getting some minutes. But I think Manchester United will want to to play Wolves and play Wolves well because for some reason, Wolves have become the bellwether side or the bet noir of, of recent Manchester United. Solskjaer could not figure out how to get the beating of them. While these games haven't traditionally been captivating, I think this is a very good test to see how good at Manchester United. If Manchester United can get the double over Wolves after spending the last season, season and a half struggling in games against Wolves, that'd be quite a nice thing to say, yes, Manchester United, 20 21 are a good football team. And are you able to sort of answer this briefly? I don't know, it's probably a very, very long answer in, in ideal times. But would you say that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has got United moving in the right direction and is making a really positive impact and they are going to be potential title winners in the not-too-distant future? I was going to agree with you about everything until you said potential title challenges. Yes, I think he's... I think he has done really good work to de-weed, declutter and sort out the, the mess uh, that was left behind his predecessors, especially the succession between uh, Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho. I think Manchester United now are in a better place than they've ever been since Sir Alex Ferguson's departure. The fact they've got back-to-back top four finishes is testament to that. Uh, there is a terrible part of my brain that kicks in after I have five cups of coffee that goes... He's only managed to, well, one reason why he's managed to do that is because it's been a COVID-affected season and teams like Liverpool form have collapsed and Chelsea had much of the start of the season being neither here on, on the Frank Lampard. And that next season, when those teams retool, as well as whatever Tottenham Hotspur do, it'll be hard to get into the top four. For now, I think the glass half full option is Solskjaer's doing a very, very good job. And there's enough about Manchester United now to suggest that if he is backed in the transfer market, they can get better. That thing of if he is backed in the transfer market is one of the scarier things because there's no guarantee that's going to happen. And there's also the other scary thing that quite a lot of Manchester United fans quietly acknowledge, which is Solskjaer might not be the technical or tactical coach to continue to improve this current squad as it is. So, uh, yeah, quietly confident. Things seem good. Uh, I'd be quite happy with this season ending the way it is. Yeah, Wolves fans would just be quite happy with the season ending. <laughs> right now, today would be nice. But anyway, let's hope for one last hurrah on Sunday and we'll have some fun with that. Thank you so much, Carl Anker, for joining us on The Molyneux View. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to hear from Carl there, Tim. So United at home on Sunday. Before that, Everton away after their slightly shock 1-0 defeat against Sheffield United. They're going for Europe, of course. What do you think Nuno will do? More, more experimentation, more trialling. I'd expect to see 4-2-3-1 again. I mean, Everton have got an atrocious home record for a team challenging for Europe. They're, they've got the 15th best home record in the league. They've only won five times at home, 23 goals in 18 games at home. And as you say, they lost to, to Sheffield United with a 17-year-old kid scoring uh, the winning goal. So, yeah, I think Wolves go there, um, hopefully with a bit of freedom, uh, as discussed, I'd, I'd like to see Gibbs White in the ten. Although, still, still not clear who you play on the left. Um, but potentially, Norrie push further up. Maybe um, I'd like to see Max Kilman play. I don't see why he was taken out of the team against Spurs. Uh, I think he's one of the unluckiest players in the squad this season in terms of game time. I think apart from Arsenal at home, when he was shoved out a left back and had a and had a nightmare because he's not a left back, he's um, he's done pretty well and given a good account of himself. Every time I've seen him, he has a tendency to start slowly in games. But other than that, um, I, I like what I've seen from him. So hopefully he gets a chance. Um, you know, we know we're not, we know we're not going to see Pedence. Maybe Willie Bolly will come back in after his recent um, health issues. There's not a huge amount he can do, but hopefully Marcel plays. 
hopefully for me Kilman plays and hopefully Gibbs White plays in his preferred position and they play with a bit of freedom that'd be nice does Fabio Silva keep his place yeah definitely there's absolutely no merit to starting William Jose up front at the moment um, I thought he did okay against Spurs when he came on the other day but no um, it's got to be Silva up front get, get that experience in his legs Thanks for all your tweets to at Tim Spears on this occasion. Paul Mansell, I want to see us use the loan to buy market like we did when we first got promoted, but only for players who can make a noticeable difference to the first 11 immediately. Paul Nichols needs a freshen up and the small young squad need help. Doe 27, a quicker and loftier centre-half. Absolutely agree with you. Still need a reliable midfield playmaker and a replacement for Raul in case of injury or not a good comeback. I mean, that's a good point. Is it a gamble to go into next season with Raul, who probably won't have kicked a ball or headed a ball? Certainly hasn't headed a ball since November the 29th, as we speak. Well, this is something, uh, this is a hot topic for the next week because Raul Jimenez uh, goes to have a scan or tests on Tuesday, uh, which is today. And um, and we'll know one way or t'other um, in the coming hours or days, whenever you're listening to this, whether Jimenez is, has been cleared to head the ball again, basically. So he's been in what you'd call full training, but when the when the ball's in the air, he's not allowed to go and head it. So he has been in contact with other players and it's, it's just the head just ahead so he'll get hopefully clearance on Tuesday so whether he can head the ball um, Nuno's been talking up his prospects of playing again in the final two games personally I don't see it he's not headed the ball for six months and I'm not sure where you take that risk but we'll, we'll see you never know he may come on for like a minute at the end of uh, the Man United game in front of fans which would be obviously a wonderful moment but um but yeah, we, we wait and see. And like you say, you know, we don't know that Jimenez is going to be the player that he was. Certainly from how he is and how he's been around the training grounds, Nuno has been extremely positive um, about that. So we can only hope for good news. One Wolves player has already been named in a Euro squad. That's Dendonka for Belgium. What else are we expecting? So Thursday's the big one. Thursday is the big one. Portugal. Portugal. Will half of Wolves' squad get called up? Um... I mean, you'd say Patricio, Martinho and Neves are uh, bankers, since as they're pretty much in every squad and start most games or certainly play a part in most games. Um, Semedo wasn't in the last squad, so that'd be really interesting to see whether he gets picked. And the other one uh, would be Pedence, who you'd say now he's uh, fallen off a cliff in terms of form and had surgery. You'd say that's pretty unlikely as well. So, And obviously we know that Neto... Tragically, he won't be able to make it uh, due to his broken kneecap. So, yeah, others to look out for, as discussed earlier, Connor Cody, England squad announcement is Tuesday. And then the only other one, unless I'm missing someone glaringly obvious, is Adama Traore, who broke into the Spain squad at the end of last year, was man of the match on at least one occasion. I think it was against Ukraine. And Spain seemed to love him. Luis Enrique seemed to love him. And then he didn't get a call-up for their, for their games in March. You'd be surprised if he didn't make it. They must have some... I know, I know it's Spain we're talking about here, but they must have some fantastic uh, options off the bench if they don't want someone like Traore on, on the bench, which surely you would. Anyway, we'll see. Hopefully for Adama, uh, he makes it as well. So potentially, one, two, three, four, five, six, potentially eight being called up for the Euros, which would be unbelievable for Wolves, but probably a couple, a couple less than that. Max Kilman to Russia. What do you reckon? Blake I did check up. the Ukraine squad the other day. <laughs> I did check the Ukraine squad. Andrei Shevchenko is their manager and he has spoken about Kilman before, um, suggesting they're trying to persuade him. But no, um, as far as I'm aware, he hasn't switched allegiance to either country just yet. More chance of being in the England squad. Since the last pod, Tim, huge amount of uproar about the ticket pricing for the 4,500 fans coming into Molyneux on Sunday. What's the club's thinking on that? I think the club's thinking is that it, that the ticket prices are competitive. I think they're actually ninth in the league in terms of expense for the top end of the expense. Um, I just think it's it's probably it's a it's a it's a, it's a missed opportunity really for them to um, to reward long-suffering fans, and I mean long-suffering not in terms of the, what they've been watching this season, but in terms of the fact that they haven't been able to go and watch a football game for fifteen months. And anyone who watched the FA Cup final, which one of one of the most enjoyable FA Cup finals I've ever watched in my life, and again not because of the football, but because of the noise, and it was just I, I was emotional. I had I had proper goose pimples for the goal, for the VAR celebrations, for full time. It was just absolutely wonderful. So you know to finally have fans back, 
It was a great it, story as well, the fact it was Leicester. My friend Tony yeah, yeah, it was. he sent me a video. Oh, it's so special, the fact they'd never won it before. But but no, you're right, the fact the no, crowd was it, in was wonderful. If it was in, yeah, if it was in an empty stadium, it just it just wouldn't have been the same at all. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So to have fans back, it's it's a shame that... that um, Ticket prices, I think, have gone up from last season at five pound. The tickets are five pound more expensive than they would have been last season, and it's probably just—it's probably a sign of things to come. Um, I think, off the top of my head, their prices are pretty competitive and pretty reasonable, and sort of generally at the lower end of the Premier League um, price ticket price table. Whereas Wolves would probably tell you that if they're a team challenging for Europe or a team in mid-table, then their prices. Would, would reflect that and I think that's probably what they're sort of moving towards now and we'll be interested to see what the prices are next season so yeah very interesting and a lot of anger about that yeah do you think they regret not say consulting the Wolves fans parliament for example when they could have just checked in with them to see what the vibe was I don't know what consultations they made to be honest they do have certain fan groups and not just the parliament that you know that, that, that they discuss and liaise with so yeah, I mean, you, you could say Burnley are offering it for free, which is uh, a, a wonderful gesture. Um, at the other end, you've got Spurs fifty. Sorry, Spurs are sixty and Villa are fifty, and Wolves have sort of gone, like I said, middle of the road. I think they're ninth in in the table in terms of expense. Um, but that'll be a sign of things to come going forward. You know, they're not they're not going to be giving away watching football to Molyneux cheaply, not at all. Ask Jeff. Discuss. Uh, yeah, so I think next week. Um, We'll be seeing uh, a lot of content from Wolves from this from this Ask Wolves initiative that, that which they've put out, where fans can send in any question they like to be answered by a variety of people, including Jeff Shee and including Scott Sellers, um, the technical director, plus a few other people as well, including Vinnie Banks, Russell Jones, as well. So um, it's an important initiative. And it's it's I think it's needed really. I think the fans have felt a disconnect really in terms of communication. And um, this has come at the right time. You know, it's been a difficult season. There's lots of questions that people want answering. And I applaud Wolves for, for doing it. And I'm really interested to see what they have to say. Yeah, really important they communicate because there's been a, a real sort of chasm, hasn't there, between the club and the fans, the fact the fans haven't been in and just just not a lot of dialogue. Nothing really. I think um, I think as as we've discussed, you know, there's a bit of a vacuum from Nuno's point of view as well because Nuno just doesn't talk about anything other than the first team, and even on the first team, he's quite limited in the subjects that he talks about. So, Wolves are looking to sort of move away from answering anything that sort of goes wrong or that the fans don't agree with, and that's something that fans may have to get used to. But I think this in, this initiative, you know, that. Uh, in terms of fans being able to ask Wolves say whatever they want and nothing will be off limits, then yeah, that's um, that's a great initiative. Really look forward to seeing what they've got to say. Thank you, Tim. Cheers, Bab. Do it again next week. Let's do it next week. It's even more comprehensive next week. Our final one of the season. In the meantime, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Tim Spears or at Jackie Oakley or both. And we'll be back next Tuesday to discuss how Wolves have fared against Everton and Manchester United. And we will review the season and we will look ahead to next. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review wherever you listen to your pod. It helps to get more fans on board. We will catch you next week. Bye for now. The Athletic.